He's my little kitty Buddha because he makes me batshit crazy, um, clawing, meowing, demanding all the things. And so it's like, how good is my practice? And typically it's not very good. So it's like, it says there's more work to be done. Right. Otis is on it. Otis is totally on it. Like the <laughs> angel sent down from heaven on my case. Absolutely. So hi, I'm Karuna. I'm the founder and executive director of Mind Oasis. And this is my revamped podcast, Tea Talk and Truth with Karuna. We haven't had an episode in quite some time. So I'm very excited to kind of wrap up this year and kick off the new year with my guest, John Buchanan. John, how are you? I'm good. Hi, and you're well. Yeah. John, tell us a little bit about you. Where in the world are you right now? And what are you up to in the world in general? Well, right now I'm in Roberts Creek, which is not usually where I am, but uh, I come, uh, my base is in Vancouver. And uh, well, since COVID started, it's been a lot of Zoom. <laughs> so been teaching for uh, many years and an actual increase in teaching uh, because of this whole Zoom thing. Teach the Dharma as much as possible. I'm a musician as well, so I play uh, music and, uh, you know, what I guess you, I do like small, like handyman renovation jobs for, because uh, the Dharma doesn't pay enough. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting to me, like, um, the whole idea of getting out of samsara or, or waking up the waking up the mind so that we can get out of the cycle of suffering you know i think for real in a real way there's not really a lot of people that are i think take that seriously enough to actually buy into it most people i think are interested in having a nicer you could say a nicer samsara <laughs> So, yeah, I think I teach as much as I can to try and teach that idea that there is a way to wake up and right where we are. And uh, so I've been, I guess, studying Tibetan Buddhism for a long time, since 2006. And before that, I was uh, meditating a lot. So I'd, I'd meditated since I was, I'm 56 years old now, I started meditating when I was 23. And then so I'd done a lot of meditating before running into the Dharma. And so then it was great because then all that meditation came in and I could apply it to the Dharma as opposed to, um, I guess, the other way around. I think a lot of people right. hit the Dharma and it's the other way around. So that's uh, really important to have a meditation medit uh you know st still mind a meditative foundation yeah awesome oh my gosh so i have so many questions for you awesome um so you don't sound american you don't sound american which makes me think you maybe didn't grow up in the united states of america no i didn't yeah. grow up john well my father was in the service so i was born in nova scotia and he moved, well, we moved every two and a half years. So I lived in uh, Nova Scotia. I lived in Ontario. I lived in Quebec. I lived in Alberta. And then he ended up uh, retiring in British Columbia. Mm. So that's where I ended up doing high school, stuff like that. And then I eventually, in 1986, I moved to Vancouver. 
Very cool. Yeah. And what brought you first to meditation? So you would have been a, a you are still a young man. However, yes. you were a younger man when you, um, <laughs> you know, approached or connected with meditation, which doesn't yeah. happen for everyone. And especially, you know, a little bit back in the day. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey to meditation. How did you find it? Well, actually, it's kind of funny how it happened was, uh, it was, I think, you know how they say that uh, a Buddha can appear in many, many, many forms. I think the Buddha appeared as a television set. <laughs> and uh, the reason why I started was uh, I was still, I'm a musician and I had my little recording studio and I was really fervently involved in a recording session, full on right into it. And I walked out of the room and in another room, kind of in a foyer, a television was on. And as I walked out, I, my intention, my intention was to go from one room to another room to get something and return to the back to the music room. But I got caught by the television. Hooked. I got hooked. And I kind of, I recognized that I went into kind of a trance. I was like caught by this thing. And I, woke up and I thought, wait a minute, I just got completely distracted, even though I was fully immersed in my musical project. It, it like this television had the power to just like side rail me. And so that scared me. And then so I remembered at that point, I'd heard about meditation and I just went and got a book and it was a book <laughs> on uh, uh, Zen meditation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I opened it up. And the the very first thing in the book, I can't I can't remember what the who the author was. It's too long ago. The author says, "I challenge you to see if you can actually watch the second hand go around a clock without being distracted." And I was like, well, "Of course I can do that." Ah. And then uh, <laughs> and then I quickly found out that I couldn't. And I I sat down and watched that red thing go and. I don't know how long I lasted before I was thinking about something else and it kept happening. Um, and then I thought, wow, I've got a problem. <laughs> I got like, this, this has to be affecting my life in a way that I don't even know. And it, and if I continue to live my life with a inability to concentrate, who knows? So that's how it started. And then I, my motivation was pretty strong because I was pretty freaked out by the fact that I couldn't concentrate for more than 15 or 20 seconds without being distracted. I didn't know terms like the wandering mind. I didn't know anything other than the fact that I couldn't concentrate very long. And of course, I could concentrate for long periods of time on something I wanted to, like music. But as soon as it was something that, I was willfully, without any apparent reason, trying to actually focus on, I couldn't do it. So I, that's how I started. And then it was like sitting against the wall. The, the instructions were sit against the wall, stare at the wall. And I was, I was really fanatic about it. I, I was doing it even on uh, like people would come over and I would like, no, I got to do my thing. You know, they'd go over and I'd sit against the wall, <laughs> stare at the wall for 15 minutes. And then uh, that eventually led me to uh, find a, peop uh, a group that were teaching uh, this 
meditative practice, but it was more subtle body. Mm. So that was my real kind of introduction is I got into the chakras. Mm. So that, and I took, I ran with that. That was, I really ran with that for a good couple of years. And I took the foundational course there and just every single day, every single day I was doing it and went on a, a 14 month trip where I uh, traveled all over the States and I just meditated all over the place. And I, that's where I really made all the first ground and then eventually made my way into uh, the Dharma, walked into a Buddhist class. Well, I got dragged in actually, <laughs> kicking and screaming. I didn't want to go, but somebody dragged me in there and then someone started teaching me about emptiness and that was it. Awesome. So I want to come back there, yeah. but before yeah. we go there, I want to um, touch on your musical interests. So yeah. first of all, um, it sounds like you're a musician, which to me means you probably play an instrument or two. What's your yeah. jam? I play guitar and I play drums and I play bass and I sing. Very cool. And what kind of influence, like what were your musical influences in your 20s and such? Like what were you jamming out to? Original or were you a cover band? What were you up to? Well, I was originals mainly. So my dad was a musician. So he got me in. So I was the, the Beatles, but I was very much into the Beatles, uh, Tears for Fears, the police, things like that. But what I was doing was writing originals. So I was, it was all originals for quite a while, but I would learn stuff like cover tunes and like Peter Gabriel, things like that to, uh, I guess, influence my writing. Uh, so I was all original for the, for a long time. And then eventually just as time went on, got more into, I guess, all kinds of music. I, I, I really went through the ringer with it, actually. My, e my ego got so involved that it got really bad <laughs> for a while. I had to stop playing for a while because I, I guess I was getting the kind of attention that I wanted and then uh, be began to recognize that if I had a good gig then and people gave me compliments, then uh, I was in a good mood for a few days. And then if, if it didn't, I didn't get the compliment I wanted, then... I was in a bad mood yeah. and I started recognizing that that was a problem. So what eventually happened was I dropped it all, had to work on myself a whole bunch and then come back to it. And what I found was what brought me back to it was, um, was Kirtan. Mm. It was actually music for music for others instead of music for just myself. It was started. That's what really pulled me back. So I started doing Kirtan and that was just a, such a big blessing to actually, I had never even heard it before. Suddenly we're at sing-alongs and, and singing mantra and things like that. That was, that was my way back in. John, yeah. you've mentioned a few things that like for you and me, because, you know, I also study Tibetan Buddhism and I've also been in kind of the yogic scene for a couple of years and all that good stuff. So there are a few words that you and I use that, um, that others may not know what it is. So I just want to back up and do a couple of definitions according to you. And then we'll move back into when you discover the Dharma, because my guess is that's going to be a juicy story. So um, early on, you mentioned the word Dharma. Can you just tell us a little bit about what um, the word Dharma means to you? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. So the Dharma, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an ever-changing meaning as, as the 
certainly my path has unfolded. But in Buddhism, the, the Dharma is supposed to mean like everything, like any physical thing could be a Dharma. But to me, uh, like the, kind of a, would you say the functional way for me to think about it is uh, the truth or the Dharma would be, I think people think of it as teaching, but anything that we do that brings us closer to our uh, ultimate happiness. So any teaching that can fill us like that, any, teach any teaching that can guide us like that, any way that we can look at the world in, a, in such a way that actually sets us free from suffering, that's what I would think of as a dharma. Yeah, absolutely. I love that definition. And then um, what is kirtan? Kirtan. Kirtan is funny. Uh, I just got to tell you a, a little story about Kirtan. Uh, I don't know if you know. Do you know Marishani? No. So well, she'd be connected to the that uh, Kimberly lineage. But so they would, she would say, she would give me trouble for saying, I would say Kirtan and she says Kirtan. <laughs> it's Kirtan. Oh. And, uh, but we, when we started doing it, we were, I, the joke was, I say, no, no, we're actually doing Kirtan, which is, <laughs> which is, I think, was very, very um, influenced by our love of music and sing along. So, you say Kirtan is the the leader would uh, maybe typically do like a sans Sanskrit chant, uh, like even just as simple as Om Mani Padme Hum, in a melody or something beautiful, and then the participants or the or the audience you could say would then sing it back so then there's a a leader a call and response so a call and response and what ideally what happens is you kind of can get into a, a rhythmic state hopefully you've got a good drummer there and uh, some good background music and everyone can go into this nice state where no one's concerned about singing on key, no one's concerned about being a good singer, and if the leader is uh, on it, is promoting singing with an open heart, and then you, the idea is you're, you know, singing to a higher purpose, or singing to something in your heart, or singing to a, a guru, or singing to a loved one, singing with devotion, and that has a very, very beautiful way of directly having the expansiveness feeling, and so uh, what we ended up doing was we wanted to get past the call and response as soon as we could and get right to everyone singing all the time. So we had, that's how, that was our approach. Because we went to, um, that's why I lapsed. No, we're doing Kirtan, not Kirtan, because we're, we were kind of, in a way, breaking the rules a little bit. Because mm. you're just like, that's okay. This. And so we would do even songs like a Beatles song, like uh or you know something like that and everyone would know after doing some sanskrit and then get everyone involved and it becomes a big beautiful sing-along and everyone's you know happy having a good time joyful absolutely yeah, yeah. is one of my favorite practices and one that I missed from the pandemic, but we were very yeah. fortunate. Garish is um a good friend to Mind Oasis and so he would bring uh Kirtan Kirtan <laughs> <On Mind Oasis. laughs> once every few months for us, which was awesome. And um, amazingly, the feeling of joy 
can float right through the ethers. It's pretty amazing. I am amazed by that. Yeah. So, okay. So you um, went on a 14 month journey around the States and yeah. were meditating in a variety of places and you yeah. got dragged into a yeah. um, Dharma offering Buddhist center or something. Tell yeah. us all the details that you yeah. can. Okay. So at the time I was in the middle of a yoga teacher training and there was a, a person there who I didn't know it at the time, but she was always dragging around this book, uh, the Yoga Sutras by Geshe Maka Roach. So, and she just seemed different to me, uh, you know, and we always had a giggle. There's something between us. That, there was always something between us that had a, had a giggle. And, and uh, we would hang out. And so this is a six-month yoga teacher training course. And as time went on, she started saying to me, uh, I think that you're going to really like Buddhism. And I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? And she's like, I think, yeah. And I, in fact, uh, right after this course ends, there's a person named Mirashani coming to town. She's teaching the Yoga Sutra. You should go. And I said, no, not interested. Because I had just, I mean, I just spent six months doing all this homework, uh, teacher training. I didn't have any money. I mean, I went through that on just like a, a scrape through that by doing service to them. Um, John, where were you? Uh, you don't oh, Vancouver. Vancouver. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, and uh, I was terrified the whole time. <laughs> I just, it was a real, real like uh, scary time for me to try and become a yoga teacher. And I just wasn't interested in doing any more homework or anything. And she said, no, you have to go. And I just kept saying, no, I don't have the money. She goes, well, we're going to work that out. And so every excuse I gave her, she just said, wouldn't take it. And so finally, she just hassled me so much that I said yes. And she got me in to the door. And it was at a yoga studio, another yoga studio. Mirashani was there teaching stuff I'd never heard of before, Yoga Sutra. And, um, and I'd at that time been meditating for a long time. So I set up my little station, I remember. <laughs> I remember I had made a pile of... Uh, of yoga blocks as a, like a little desk. <laughs> it's like, I just new to this and had some papers and I was looking at her and she was saying things that I'd never heard before, you know, um, saying things like not responding in kind. Like when, if someone treats you bad, the last thing you want to do is actually return that. And it made no sense to me at all. So it's like, uh, stopping these cycles but what happened was then she took out this object she took out the pen and she started talking about emptiness <laughs> and she started talking about this thing having uh, no self-inherent nature and i'm just i just locked in on that and i was staring at her and i don't know uh what happened there but it was like i got hit by a truck it's just this big whoa it went off in my like a big flash went off this aha moment, I guess. And it went in deep enough for me to just be rocked by it. And it made sense. I guess, you know what it was? It was that I finally understood that there was nowhere to go. So before, before that time, all my practice and meditation, I think I was trying to escape my mental affliction. And so I got really good at meditating, so good that I could do whatever I wanted and actually disappear 
where they're really, you can go to a realm of meditation where there's no affliction, but if you, you have to deal with it. So you come back. So I had to keep coming back to this uh, very afflicted state. And then I, re I realized in that class that that wasn't going to work, that I actually needed to stay and work out my karma. I had to need to work out my affliction just from that teaching. And it, it just made so much sense to me that, yeah, you know, we give things their meaning. And that was it. That was it. And then I just got, it just lit a fire in me. And then Lama Marut came and one thing led to another. And I just, uh, as my teacher said, I started inhaling the Dharma like an industrial vacuum cleaner. It just, it just, that's what happened. And that I never stopped. I never stopped. I just took course after course after course after course, and then eventually started teaching it and still teach it. And that was 2006 when I got dragged into that room. John, who have you studied with? I studied with, um, well, the ACI courses, of course. So Geshe Michael watch all those courses and the, the teachers. But you and I know, but ACI yeah, yeah. stands for Asian Classics. Yes, Institute. good point. Yeah, Asian's, which is a basically a Geshe course that Geshe Michael Roach put together that you can study and it's got homeworks and quizzes and readings. It's amazing and audios. And so people were teaching that yeah, but so that was all through Geshe, like uh, Ken Rinpoche through Geshe Michael Roach down through to this teacher to, to like to me. But then my direct my my direct teachers became uh, Lama Marut mm -hmm. was my very direct teacher, and also uh, Lama Yvonne Jakes and uh, Lama Roger Jakes, who then became my more esoteric teachers. But my main uh, teacher of Buddhism, you know, my teachers before that. Uh, I, you know, I didn't really understand the concept teacher, you know, so I'd say the big one for me, the big one was Lama Marut. Yeah. 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 And then that led to everything else, you know, yeah. my, my, my esoteric teachers and, and Geshe Michael, which was big and Lama Christie was, they were big, but Lama Marut was, he became my root Lama and my book, he gave me my Bodhisattva vows and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hector Marcel, who studied yes. at the Michael Roach, is my teacher. Yes. And I have this, I'm looking for it, but oh, it's right in front of me. Let me, I'm going to take a second and grab it. Hang on, let me, because you will appreciate this. I had to change my setup. So this is what sits on my altar. Oh, wow. Right? What a power trio. Beautiful. That's so for the listeners who don't yeah. know, I'm showing a picture of Lama Marut, his beautiful partner, Cindy Lee, and my Lama, uh, Hector Marcel. Yeah, what a picture. It is. And it was taken by Lilia Mead, which is really funny. I didn't know that. And I was at a gathering um, in New York City and I showed her that picture and she's like, I took that picture. And I was like, this world is getting oh. too small. It's so crazy. <laughs> So, John, uh, yes. you are bringing a wonderful series to Mind Oasis in January of 2023, yeah, and it's yeah. called What's With All the Noise in My Head During Meditation. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your approach to mm. teaching meditation? And yeah. before you go there, I'm just going to let listeners know that there's a, to me, a very distinct uh, difference between guiding meditation and teaching meditation. And I'd like to share kind of what that is. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, on Mind Oasis, we offer every day, four to five times a day, live sessions. They're called, it's called community meditation. You log on and there are community members somewhere between, you know, three to 10 people, sometimes more, sometimes less. And um, there's a guide and those guides have been trained by me um, to guide meditation for 30 minutes. And the session kind of looks like this. There's some, um, a little bit of movement. Of course, everybody welcomes everyone. And then there's a little movement. Then we do a check-in, um, a somatic check-in. We usually go through a body scan or sometimes through the five senses. And then the guide will guide people for a few minutes um, helping instruct them how to connect with the sensation of breath. That's what we typically use as our um, tether or anchor of the mind. Then there's a few minutes, you know, somewhere between five or if you're with me, 15 minutes of silence where you get to work with your mind, which is what you're going to be talking about. Like all the good things that happen in your meditation practice, which by the way, means you're alive. If things are happening in your head while you're meditating, you know, and then they will maybe have a check-in. And then at the end of the session, we always have a quote, or sometimes we play music or something like that. That's guided meditation. That means you've showed up and someone is going to help guide you through a meditation process over a period of time. As opposed to that teaching meditation, which is what I do um, in our immersions, is I am teaching you how to sit on your own with no one guiding you except for yourself and what to do as obstacles arise, right? How do you um, address the obstacles at different stages of meditation and work with them, okay? So that the reason I went into that whole big monologue is because I actually think that there's a deep misunderstanding out in the meditation world, largely because of kind of famous teachers <laughs> calling their programs that they do like teacher trainings, mm. um, when what they're really teaching people how to do is how to meditate. And so um, I'm kind of trying to get out there to say, yo, you have to learn how to meditate. And that requires a teacher you can show up with just about anyone and get guided in meditation. There's a distinct difference. So to me, this series complements what we're doing on Mind Oasis because you are going to, I assume, help teach people some of the tips, tools, and techniques you can use on the cushion on your own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well said. I, I, I love what you said. God, I love it so much. It's a... Uh... I think, especially in this day, so many people come up to me and they say, um, you know, I've been meditating on uh, like apps. You know, they're getting, so basically they're getting guided meditations through these apps. And they ask me, you know, you know, is it better to meditate on my own without the apps? And there's always this, like you said, it's, uh, I think, <laughs> I, you know, the obvious answer is, you know, obviously, on your own. Lemon Root used to say, uh, <laughs> I, you didn't just meditate it. I meditated for you. He would say that. And the idea, I think the apps are awesome for learning how. Then you got to drop it. So I think that's what the, the role of the teacher is to show you how to drop the training wheels and uh, have your own training wheels. You go into, and then you, because then you have to, you have to go up against your own mind. That's your opponent. <laughs> and uh, as long as the meditation is being guided 
by someone else, you kind of get a free ride and it's beautiful and you get taken into a, a space, but you get carried there. And we all know that we, in a guided meditation, we can still be distracted. The mind will still, you know, uh, wander off, no problem, but the guide is there and he'll keep bringing you back. When you're by yourself, when the mind wanders, there's no one to bring you back and you could be gone for a good half hour, no problem, you know. Um, so that's that's great. So yeah, the course will be about teaching methods of how to tackle and be aware of the things that, or the many obstacles that are in our way from having a very clear, very still mind, uh, experiencing our true uh, fulfilled, like already pre-fulfilled, pre you'd say, presence that we all have, which we don't get to experience because it's veiled to us by the constant activity of the wandering mind. And so when we go down, sit down, attempt to meditate by ourselves, we find out very, very soon <laughs> that the mind has, or the wandering mind has different ideas. You know, it's not interested. We, we, we have so much going on. And so the there will be definitely be some guided meditation in the in the course, but also I love that you said, you know, 15 minutes of silence if you're teaching. I I, I love that. There has to be silence. There has to be silence. There has to be guidance. And then there will be teaching sessions where I will choose a certain obstacle, give some advice, try this, here's what to do, and then you can apply it in your meditation on your own. And what also I'm going to be talking about is the importance of how you're living your life when you're off the cushion. Because ideally, you know, I think the, it's a great, people can fall for this where they think their practice ends as soon as they stand up off their cushion. And that's not the goal. Meditation is a tool that we use to then be able to get off the cushion and be a beautiful person in life. And the only way we can be a beautiful person in life is if we're aware of what's happening in the mind, because, you know, I don't know my, my, myself, I mean, I've, you probably lose count at about a billion, how many times in my life I've just totally unaware or so been taken into this non-lucid state of reacting to a situation and hurting someone else. And then so by that hurting myself, just by just through lack of awareness. And if you, you look back in time and say, oh, why did I do that? You know, why, God, if I, if I could just turn back the clock, I would have, done, would have done it differently. And the only difference is awareness. A moment of non-awareness can get us to do, uh, can be the impetus for us to do all kinds of things that just continue, uh, the impetus for our suffering to continue. So that's what excites me about meditation is that all the power, we have all the power. It's all within us. All we need to do is apply some basic tools that the mind is going to fight. And we can win that fight. If our motivation is clear and we understand what we're up against, like that's a big part of it is being real about what we're up against. And, and, and also being real with that everyone's dealing with it. No one comes to meditation for the first time, unless they have some crazy, crazy uh, 
goodness potential inside of them. Most people come and it's a struggle right from the start and then they get discouraged thinking that I can't meditate because I'm distracted. When everyone, that's like saying, um, someone, I heard this great saying once, uh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible enough. And that's like saying, I can't take a shower because I'm too dirty. It's like everyone fights that to the end. And as we go, it just, the problems become more subtle, but they're there until we're totally clear and it's worth every moment. It's worth every perceived failure. It's worth every every bit of effort that we ever put into it. When the mind clears, there's no amount of treasure in this world that could ever, ever pay for what that's worth. This just to have a clear, still, calm, happy mind is uh it's beyond compare. Yeah. And we can do it. Everyone can do it. Absolutely. So uh, it's a four-week series. It starts on the 17th of January, which is a Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday night? Tuesdays, seven o'clock central. It's just an hour long. Um, you can go to mindoasis.org to register and to learn more, and you'll go to the learn tab and you will see John's face and this wonderful title. What's with all the noise in my head during meditation. Um, and then the subtitle is there's hope. <laughs> so if you've ever felt hopeless, here we go. John's going to give you hope. It's a great thing to, um, have in the beginning of the year. So I think this is a perfectly timed series. So I want to, um, I have one question I ask all of my guests, but before we go there, I just want to go back and ask you, you talked about in your meditation journal, j- journal, in your meditation journey that you had, um, experienced sort of those, uh, upward stages, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine, where you're really pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And then you would quote unquote, come back off the cushion <laughs> and your, your life was as challenging as it was. Now, the word you used was samsara. Some of our listeners won't know what that is. And I'll just, you know, let people know that that's a word that you could use for kind of like the suffering world, sort of the earthly realm that we find ourselves in. And, and then people, a lot of times will push back a little bit and say, it's an awesome world. My world is great. And the truth is, is at the end of the day, you're going to die. And, um, you know, so there's, there's the ultimate suffering is the end, um, one could say. Mm. So that's why we call in the Tibetan tradition minimally um, that this is sort of a samsara world. So having said all of that, I'll just caveat one more. Um, I spent a month out in the desert um, studying, well, really I was on a silent meditation retreat, but I was at Chuladasa's uh, retreat center And um, what I found was a lot of the strangely young men who would be out there, they um, meditated like day and night. And in fact, it made me go like, shit, am I like a terrible meditator? Because I (laughs) was bananas, to be honest with you. I was having a really hard time. And they looked all fucking zen. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, But then like, you know, we had save us. We had service that we had to do. And like, if something didn't go right, they'd be Mm -hmm. like curled up in the corner crying. And I was like, what is going on here? And what I realized 
was that they were amazing meditators, quote unquote, in the cave on their own without life happening. But the moment that life struck, they were like a fucking hot mess. And I <laughs> vowed when I came out, and you'll find this on Mind Oasis. I vowed when I came out yeah. that like we would teach people, guide people in what I call real meditation. And to yeah. me, what that means is the kind of meditation that you um that the the veil between on the cushion and off the cushion out in life, householders, all of that gets transparent. It's thin. It's like there's no difference between the two. So I'd love to hear, first of all, a little bit about your own personal journey where mm. you were like, oh, yo, I can meditate, but can I like go out in the world? One. And then two, um, how you might be incorporating that into your teachings moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a thank you for that. A very passionate diatribe. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is this is one of a couple it. of things I'm compa- I feel yeah passion about yeah i get it i get it um so i yeah so started meditating and uh when i first started meditating my head was so noisy that i thought that i was never going to get a break and really noisy i i don't know i don't know how long it was in into it um and these aren't guided meditations. Like I got the guidance and then I did it, did it myself, you know? And then I think there was a, a moment there where suddenly there was no noise and I got super, super excited. Like maybe it was the first time in my life that I had experienced no noise in my head. I didn't know what that was like. Whoa, two different realities. So then I became very, very excited about this gap and erroneously thought that that was a place where I could go to live and not, you know, and got so, but my motivation was very extreme to get to, 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 cause I was experiencing all kinds of uh, low self-esteem, uh, depression. I would do anything for a compliment, like just all kinds of stuff like that in the world, which ironically folks at home, <laughs> when you start meditating, that becomes very obvious. So there's there's a time when, uh, like I always get excited. If someone comes up to me and says, John, I've been <laughs> meditating and I feel crazier than I ever have. I'm like, you're doing it. You're doing it right. I get really excited about that. So you start to become aware of like what the mind is doing, which is pretty crazy if you, when you become aware of it. So I get obsessed with this idea of being able to go somewhere where my affliction wasn't. And I was doing these subtle body meditations, uh, which is like in your chakras and channels and stuff. And you're doing these visualizations and that uh, I'll talk about that in the, in the workshop. That's a, one of the, a great method to become still. So I'm very good at that. And then could, especially in that trip I took, I, I got to a point where I could go into the middle of the woods, sit on a freaking log, have flies crawling on my face, and just experience like a communion and bliss from a fly, you, you know, crawling around on my sixth chakra and just like, go to these golden realms of just, you know, no longer aware of a body. 
no longer aware of the sight senses, but always, always have to come back. You know, and my world would then like when you reach when you reach certain levels of med- meditation, it's like when you return from meditation, it's almost like your body reforms. It's like you come back and the, the body's in life. Like, like when we go to sleep at night, you know, you wake up in the morning and there's, you know, the world reforms. But in meditation, oh, there's that irritated mind again. You know, here's the here's the here's the mind that is uh, cranky because uh, I'm not getting the dessert that I want. I'm not, you know, here's the mind that's cranky because uh, you know someone didn't give me a compliment again after all this time, after all this practice. Um. So actually, to to be really candid, that took me to a very very dark place because I had gotten really amazing at meditating and I was still suffering hard and that to me was like okay there's no hope mm-hmm. like I I can do anything with my mind I want now uh, but I'm still suffering hard and so I got to the brink of very 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 dark place and I slowly came out of there through counseling i had a counselor who started making me get real about my life so i started realizing that wow i have some deep anger issues and they started coming out and it was funny because i was so self-realized i come there and i would tell this is what i do i da 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 you know and she looked at me and she said wow you're so aware of everything that you're doing i said yeah it's horrible and she goes tell me about your parents you know and, and then and then it was just it, it, you know one thing led to another and um it it was so bad I, I had so much resistance to going to those sessions like every time i went i in the elevator it was just like a fight like these are useless you know and then i would fight my way in the door and then i would go in the door and then i would like be yelling in there and get and just like so then that I remember getting out of one of those sessions and getting down into my truck. I was so like hit by it all. I couldn't even drive. I sat there and recognized that maybe for the first time in 30 years, I felt like a real person. I was like, okay, I'm a mess, (laughs) but I'm real. Like I know I'm a mess and I felt really good, but also horrible. So then from there, I started to be able to use my meditation to actually recognize I've got affliction, got to deal with it. And what really, really helped and what really, really got that uh, to um, leave my mind was the Dharma, was starting to plant goodness in the world, goodness in myself. And then all the negativities slowly began to dissolve as i counteracted that but that took real time awareness <laughs> in the world being real about what i am and what i'm not treating people kindly consciously doing that step by step it took some time but it worked mm-hmm. right and yeah. so i know what you're saying that's what I, and that's that's where i come from i come from that place of of saying here's a method 
but you got to do the work. Oh yeah. There's no running. There's no running from the mind because it was. It's just. It's just waiting for you <laughs> to, to to think that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for that. Really. Um personal share. It was awesome. Your uh, therapist must have been as good as my therapist. So oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I always say therapy is really important with a meditation practice. Um, so John, what's your truth? What's my truth? What's your truth? This is what's... tea talk and truth with Karuna. We have gotten to the tea. I'm having coffee. What are you having? Coffee. Uh, we have definitely gotten talked. So now we yes. have to do the truth. What's okay. your truth? Okay. My truth, my truth, my truth, my truth. That's a very, very great question. I think, um, my truth is that every single one of us has the potential innate within us to be free. And that the, the self that most of us perceive ourselves to be is what stands between our complete and total well-being and contentment and, you could say, continual suffering. So... That's my truth, is that in each and every moment, a self arises in relation to the situation, and for as long as we identify with that suffering self, that's for as long as we will suffer, and that the simple and raw truth that we can actually be aware of that self is logical proof enough that we aren't that self. It's a perception. All we, you know, it's, it's ridiculously and almost stupidly simple. <laughs> All we really have to do is stop identifying with that self. And you will see it it will just collapse back into the space of mind where it came from and you'll, and then you'll know freedom. So that's my truth is that freedom is like a, is closer to you than your breath. And it's certainly not out there and uh, anyone can do it. And that's what excites me. And that's why uh, that's my truth. That's why I teach uh, constantly. Yeah. So we have to plug you. We have to do some plugging here. First of all, on <laughs> my basis, in early 2023, it starts on the 17th of January, John will be bringing a four-week series called What's With All the Noise in My Head During Meditation, but more importantly, there's hope. Um, to MindOasis, you can go to mindoasis.org, go to the Learn tab, and you can register and um, uh, learn more there. So that's one thing. But you have podcasts, you have things happening. So tell us all about um, the wonderful stuff that you're up to in the world and how people connect with you. Okay. Um, well, I'm doing this uh, podcasts called Chitta Chat. <laughs> Chitta Chat on uh, this 
Sukavati Studios, which has been great. We've done one season. That's kind of been just kind of this beautiful rambling talk on these Buddhist ideas, uh, Dharma and you know, Buddha Chitta and emptiness and things. And then we're just about to start season two. And we're going to go into uh, Kamala Shila's stages of meditation. I'm super excited about that. We're going to use that scripture. We've already recorded one episode. So that's uh, ongoing. And then every Monday night, I teach on Zoom meditation. It's called Meditation Monday every Monday night. And every Sunday, Monday at 7, and every Sunday at 4, we do this beautiful little thing called Sangha Sunday. We get together. Uh, we do a... We do a we open with a meditation where we go to refuge for in, in the teacher, or you could say we pull our minds into a place where we're not putting our hopes in pain. <laughs> we're trying to put our hopes into something else. And then someone will bring a a subject forward and we'll and we'll talk about real life kind of ways to live the Dharma. So that's that happens. And all of this can be found on my website, which is www.reachingbliss dot com and it's all there uh, you can also what also is um sukavati studios they on that website is also everything that i do you could even you could even actually google chitta chat with lama john it's so funny to say lama john I mean, it's just like you get called a lama but it's not like i ever decided that so chitta chat with Lama John, you search that, that will pop up. And then this set of beautiful teachings uh, that uh, are on there, like there's other ones too. There's a Raja Yoga guy there. And there's, I think, a nutritionist on that as well. It doesn't matter. Um, that's that. So what else am I doing? Anything else? Your oh, website is one more time, John. Yeah. www.reachingbliss.com. .com, yeah. All one word. Thank you. And oh, what else we do is every third Saturday of every month, we do a full day retreat. Oh, yeah. We, we go cool. from seven in the morning till uh, seven at night, and we do four two hour sessions. Very and cool. that's happening. And then we have a, a two or three times a year, we do a seven day retreat. The ones, there's one coming up in April. April? Yeah, end of April. And then finally, after all this time, we're going to do an actual in-person retreat in June. So lots going on. Awesome. Yeah. So you can connect with John via MindOasis, mindoasis.org. You can go to his website, reachingbliss.com. John, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Karina. This was awesome. So great to Good. hang out.